Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mental Health Much, the podcast that talks about everything queer and mental health. And today, Jordan, it is the conclusion of this season, season number three. It is the last time you and me are going to come online to talk about body image, or at least the last time for now. I am overcome with the urge to sing Barbra Streisand's The Way We Were, but I'm not going to. It's wonderful <laughs> memories, but it's sad to see that it's the end of our podcast journey together for this season. Yes, I am sad that it's the end and I really loved working with you. I am very excited that I'm going to stop listening to my own voice for a little while in between <laughs> seasons. Oh, I totally support that. I listen to yourself on a podcast is a weird phenomenon. I'll tell you that. Like listening to my own voice, I'm like, oh, who is that dude? Oh, I, I have heard a compliment that we both have very lovely radio voices. People have told me we both have great voices for podcasting. So oh, just saying. Thank you. If you think so, please make us world famous. <laughs> no, I don't really want to be world famous. Honestly, that's too much pressure. Yeah. Like word of mouth to your friends, but not too much. Keep it casual. Keep it light. Mm -hmm. As per usual, we start uh, by thanking people for the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. So it's going to be the last time we're going to do that. So you'll have the whole break between seasons to uh, leave us a review. Uh, we have three people to thank again today. So thank you to Lux Hunger One. Thank you to Enrique Magoo, who actually designed the logo for the show. So thank you for your five-star review, Enrique. And thank you to Ipo Downer 11. All three of you left a very lovely message too. So thank you very much. And uh, I want to say thank you as well to everyone who reached out mainly on Instagram to say how much this season had touched them. People who like opened up about their own experience and who encouraged us to continue. I think it really like sparked a conversation, not so much with a ton of strangers, but with a lot of people that I knew peripherally or that I knew a little bit. And they were like, oh, I, I didn't know that about you. Like, this is what's happening with me. And it sort of really like opened up a lot of conversation with people. So thank you everyone for reaching out, you know, when we record and especially when I edit the podcast, it's very like lonely. <laughs> it's very much alone in front of my computer. And so having the five-star reviews and having like just quick messages saying like, I really loved the episode this week really goes a long way to help me keep being motivated. I've received a few comments on my Instagram as well, and they are sustaining. And it's nice to know that we're starting a conversation amongst our immediate community, because like that's a big thing, right? Like if you can affect one person's thinking about an issue, that's a big gift. And if we've done that for a few people, even better. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the conclusion. Remember when I, when we talked last October and we kind of like had the first meeting and we were like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we can record everything that we need during the holiday break. And here we are in April, still recording. Yeah. We were wide-eyed dreamers with a dream of getting it all done and in the bag. And then life showed up. And, you know, it was a long time ago that we sat down to talk about this. I remember we went out for coffee. We brainstormed some ideas. Um, but I'm glad that it kind of evolved the way it did because it did become a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. I think we went to some interesting places with it. I was not expecting the places that we would go. It's been quite a journey. Yeah. I forgot we went for coffee. Like, that was when... We could still have coffee outside before the winter. Oh, yeah. It was still warm enough. Yeah, well, a lot of time has passed, but now it's ending. It's the last episode. And it is weird for me to be at the last episode a little bit because 
one of the reason why we both felt like this was the last episode, it was because our conversations were starting to feel a little bit circular. And at the same time that I was seeing that our conversation started to feel circular, I also feel like we've only like barely scraped the surface of this really, really big topic. So it's kind of interesting to be at this place, but it did feel like proper time for a conclusion. I agree. We definitely just scratched the surface. There's so much deeper you could have gone with each one of those topics, but you know, in order not to like drag it on and on and on, like to have a touch on all the issues, maybe getting people interested in furthering those conversations in their own lives and exploring more the topics that interest them. So it did feel like a natural end. Mm-hmm. So how was the journey for you? How was your experience with talking about body image with me for the past almost six months? I laughed. I cried. It was better than cats, as they say. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to make a joke out of that because it actually was really meaningful for me. Coming into this topic, our listeners probably can tell that I don't have an expertise on this issue. This is not something I feel uh, was ever like a passion of mine or something that I was very committed to exploring. I know that, Vincent, you did a phenomenal job bringing yourself to this subject, and you have a lot of expertise in this subject. So first and foremost, it was a break for me from being like the talking expert in the room, because on our last series about crystal meth, <laughs> it was a lot more of that. I have to be an expert. I have to show that I know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. And it was nice to just be sort of like a special guest who got to like go on a learning journey with you. We did that first episode where we explored queerness, and that was interesting from a historical standpoint to learn all these tidbits about, you know, the colors that were associated with gayness. I still don't wear green, by the way. (laughs) But as we went through the rest of the episodes, I found on a personal level, I was learning a lot, but also having a lot of moments of like recognition of like where my own relationship with my body and my own relationship with others' bodies was really problematic. And I don't mean problematic as a judgment. It was like, I realized where I was contributing to the problem in my own life and in the lives of people that I cared about, which can be a hard thing to learn when you're on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm having an uncomfortable feeling right now. But I felt that was really rewarding for me because having not spent a lot of time looking at my own relationship with my body, a lot of stuff has gone unchecked. And now I've got a little bit more awareness around that. So things in my head that didn't trigger a thought of like, hey, wait, why do I think that about this aspect of my body? Or why am I judging this person because of the way that they look? I now have that awareness. And then with the awareness comes the ability to make a different choice or to examine things deeply. And I think that was my biggest experience of this journey. Yeah, it's um, interesting to me that you say that it was not conscious, your relationship with your body. And I feel like I go through the world and I think most people are maybe like you, which is a bit maybe surprising to me, like how automatic people just like go and and live their life with all of the things that they learn consciously or unconsciously mm. from like the standards of beauty. And I'm, I'm going back to that first episode and, you know, the way that podcasts work, often the first episode of a season gets a lot more attention than further down the season. And I'm curious of where are the people who only listen to that first episode without understanding like how much deeper we went into the conversation <laughs> throughout the season. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, looking back, it was so like casual and lighthearted in our first couple episodes with the standards of beauty. And uh, and I don't think we expected both of us to take quite the journey we took. No, I mean, if you listen to the first episode, you've got a couple of neat trivia facts you can share with your friends. But if you go deeper with us on the journey, then you'll come to the juicy bits. And like, I think it's a real exciting thing to like have that consciousness again, because some of the stuff that was unconscious was really negative. Like I, mm-hmm. I think I shared my own relationship with my body when I was younger and how none of that stuff that I thought when I was 12 or 13, when I first 
started to feel ashamed about my body more, more deeply has been unchecked. Like I'm in my forties now. So there's some work to do, like some healing to do there. The other cool thing about this was like, so Vincent and I know each other outside of this podcast. We didn't just randomly come together. We're, we're friends outside of this and colleagues. Getting to know more about your story was super exciting for me because like you get to know somebody on a deeper level. And I just really want to say like, you brought a level of like honesty and like vulnerability to this podcast series. It was really awesome to be a witness to that. And I felt very privileged to be here with you on that particular journey. So thank you for that. Well, one of the things we wanted to talk about in the final episode too is some of this stuff we learned from our guests. But I guess I'll start with you because you were kind of a guest. And I think the most astonishing fact that I learned about you during this whole thing is that you used to work in a bank, which <laughs> is, I cannot even imagine the Jordan that used to work in a bank. Like that was another life ago for sure. Oh, I'm glad you did not know him. <laughs> you would have taken him on as a patient quite willingly. This guy's messed up. <laughs> anyway, I guess you're not a guest, you're the host, so I can't say I learned anything <laughs> talking about you. Though learning about your like family growing up and the relationship that they have with food in your body was like not what I expected. I expected a very different story of like where your issues with food and, and health and diet came up, but it was very different than I expected. And so mm. I got to know more about your background, which is kind of cool. What else did you learn from our guests? Because we were lucky to have a handful of guests this season. Well, I think a couple of ones stood out. So Darcy obviously was very, very powerful. A lot of people don't know, but we re-recorded that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was there for the initial interview with Darcy and like, I was just blown away by like how well he articulated the issues around weight in our queer community and how weight renders people invisible and the judgment about people's health that we applied to people who are fat That was eye-opening for me. And I think that was the episode where I think I reflected on the fact that I had a relationship with my best friend where I wouldn't hold his hand in public because I didn't want to be seen as being with a fat person. Mm-hmm. Like that was like, when Darcy shared so honestly about that, it was like, that was the hardest episode, I think, to record because it made me realize like I also contribute to fat shame and fat stigma. So he really like so articulate and so such an advocate and activist in that regard. So probably the most powerful for me. Yeah. For the podcast, it was in my head a lot because I was, you know, trying to get information across and to like have someone to slow me down and be like, actually, this is more than in your head and it's your body and it's your feelings and in your emotions as well. Mm-hmm. And when Darcy said like something in the lines of like, I'm much more concerned to know if you have fat friends than if you're comfortable with using the term fat in the like political way. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is worth a lot more. Like looking at who's surrounding you in your life is much more interesting than what you do on paper. Like, is it that, you know, black square of Black Lives Matter that we put in our profile photo the one time? Or do we actually have diversity in our group of friends and surrounding us? Yeah, the aspect of performative activism versus actually living it out. And like, mm-hmm. that was important learning. And um, I remember I had an aha moment about the parallels between like, as somebody who is experienced with drug users and people who are addicted to substances, the stigma around both issues and the parallels that were was a really good moment for me to like remember that there's solidarity to be had there. Like mm-hmm. that activism should be just as important to me because there's the same stigma, the same judgment and the same moralizing that people do with that. So it was like another one of those, like, Oh, your struggle is like my struggle and we should be in solidarity. <laughs> I should support this and I should work on this too, uh, which is super important. Yeah. Intersectionality. I tell you. Intersectionality. It's not just a word in a textbook. It's a way of life. <laughs> what did you think about Marie as, as well as a guest? Because you got to do the episode with her alone. What were your thoughts about Marie and what she shared about fashion and queerness and all that jazz? 
Yeah, I was just about to talk about her because the interview was in French. So I feel like it's a piece that not everybody got access to. It was such an interesting conversation with Marie and talking about clothing and fashion and shopping. And although there was already an episode on my podcast in season one with Zent about fashion, Marie and I went like in a completely different way. And of course, Marie and Zent walked through the world with very different experience. And so like they were able to bring different point of view about that. And the experience of shopping for Marie and at some point she said, like, I no longer go to stores that makes me feel bad about myself. Mm -hmm. I go to places where the staff and the cut and everything is there to celebrate different types of bodies and where people are in form. And her talking about the balance between how much she loves fashion and it's important in her life and it brings her joy, but also like the sadness that often alone in a changing room and, and not able to look the way that she thought she ought to look and how that changed. And that was like really, really powerful. But she talked about how she had to change the way that she thought about fashion and clothing in order to bring the joy back. And that, yeah, it's okay to wear clothes where maybe her belly is showing and her ass is showing in that way. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't look good despite what the uh, fashion industry is trying to tell us. Yeah, I, I didn't get to be in that interview. Obviously, I don't speak French very well. I can't do an interview with somebody in French, but I was there for the pre-interview we did with her for at least part of it until my computer conked out. And Marie actually was one of the guests that made a big impression on me, even from that small interaction. There was a, certainly a joy that she got from fashion that I forgot you could get from dressing up mm -hmm. in a way that makes you feel good. And they're non-binary, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah. She uses she and they, so we can alternate for sure. Oh, awesome. Them sharing about their sort of relationship with that and fashion was a good reminder for me to like not dress for other people. Like often I dress for other people, what I think they want to mm -hmm. see or what they're going to be comfortable with versus dressing for myself. So I've been playing a lot more with color and with like different things in my fashion since we had that interview. And so she made a mark in that respect for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And how like the experience of shopping with a body that was assigned female at birth is different in a non-binary than you shopping in a non-binary with a body that was assigned male at birth and how mm -hmm. like that looks differently. It was actually quite a good conversation. I appreciated Amanda Loring, what they shared about women in fashion. There was definitely some things that I was completely oblivious to because as a person who doesn't necessarily always think about queer women in fashion and up until that point had not really given any thought to it, it was really interesting to hear the perspective and takes on things. And also all the TV shows, lesbian representation and queer representation. <laughs> Yeah, and it was interesting uh, to have Amanda, Lauren, and James' ideas, too, on how they viewed the world differently, especially with two of them being uh, people of color and how that affected their relationship with their body and uh, how there's still so much work to do, uh, which, of course, is something that I know intellectually, but it's always nice to talk with people who uh, make me remember it more emotionally and, and more grounded. Yeah, it's easy to get in one's head about that kind of stuff and be intellectual about the work. When people share about their own lives and experiences, you have to get connected to them as people. Mm -hmm. And all of our guests, I think, did a good job with that. So thank you to all of our guests. Yes, thank you so much. And then the most important thing we wanted to do with this conclusion episode 
is what I do in my regular seasons at the end of each episode. I find it quite important to have a section on like what helps you and ideas and solutions and how to move forward with all of this, which in this season we didn't do on each individual episode. So I just thought you and me could share just a few things that either is helping us in our relationship with our body image stuff and our self-esteem or things that after the season is now ended, like things that we want to try <laughs> and work on in the future. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so there's quite a bit of a list that I started and finished. <laughs> I have a long list too. I'm just going to work on everything. That's it. I'm just going to work on everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest one for me was to stop using weight as a stand-in for my health or my worth, like not mm-hmm. using weight to evaluate that. Because I think up until a few episodes into our podcast, I still felt like it was okay to judge myself based on how much I weighed and that that weight was synonymous with good health, which it's not. The diet culture episode where we sort of exposed some of the fictions behind some of the like the 2,000 calories a day thing being like not quite a real mm-hmm. – that was eye-opening for me and like realizing I can't count calories or obsess over a number on a scale to evaluate my health. And so to let that go is one big thing. It's funny you mentioned worth because my first thing that I wrote – of things that help me is not attaching my worth as a human with my looks. Mm. Both of us have this as like number one, but like how with the diet industry or just magazines or Instagram makes us think that we fully have control over how our body looks. And if I'm not able to look like this flawlessly 24 seven, then like it's a personal failure on my part. It's so hard, but just to be able to remove that from my brain and just be looking at models or looking at people and be like, yeah, there's no amount of working out or starving myself that is going to make me look like this person. So I might as well stop comparing myself to this person. Nothing good comes from comparing ourselves to other people, especially people who are airbrushed with an inch of their life for a magazine cover. I mean, we talked a little bit about it during the podcast. We always went back to capitalism at some point or another, the Mm -hmm. way that people make money off of the misery that people feel in their own lives because of the way they look or they don't look. I think that's another important reminder for me is like to look behind the glitz and the glamour and like whatever is being presented to me as being the image of beauty and thinking some executive who probably doesn't look anything like that is trying to make money off of making me feel bad about how I look. So no, thank you. Mm -hmm. At some point during our season, my good friend, Sandra, who actually is a model, like that's what she does for a living, post about this on Instagram. And I don't remember all the specific of what she said, but she was like, I don't look like the photos of myself. Like Sandra is extremely gorgeous and a beautiful human inside and out. And she was like, you don't see, but they pin the clothes on me. They airbrush me and then they Photoshop me. And it's all of that routine that goes into me having to look a certain way for those photos. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting that someone whose job it is to do that is saying like, I don't look like this. And body image is affecting me and other models also a lot. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about it, but you could do an entire podcast series on the fashion industry. Yeah. I think the other thing we talked about that I've committed to working on is like looking at good versus bad food, like stopping evaluating food as good or bad. Mm -hmm. Because A, it it deprives me of the joy that eating is because I think food is a wonderful pleasure in life. And I certainly do a lot of eating, but also like the obsessing over calories or food content is not actually helping me lead a healthier life. It's just making me believe that if I consume a number of calories a day, that somebody else has arbitrarily decided is right, that I'm okay. 
Mm-hmm. So like looking again, deeper than just the label and what's on the food and not judging my food is good or versus bad. Like that can be a very helpful thing for me at least. Yeah. There's a lot of science, although I want to talk about this with a grain of salt because this is not something that I've studied deeply, but in the intuitive eating toolbox, they remind us that food, like our body does not stop and start on a 24 hour period, but all the diets are based on the day. What they talk about in intuitive eating is that if you restrict for three days, for example, then it's normal that on the fourth day, you will have a harder time not binging uncontrollably. Like our food intake and our nutritional intake regulates in a much longer period than 24 hours, right? Our body remembers what we ate yesterday and what we're uh, lacking in our nutrition right now. So that like day to day, like was today a good day or a bad day actually makes no sense according to intuitive eating. And again, I did not fully research what they've talked about, but this is something that I've seen where people have like a few good days. I remember when I was restricting my food, some days I was really good. And then there was one day where I felt like I had no control over what I was eating. And I think it was just my body needing more calorie intake. And even in, uh, I know it's pop culture, but in the books, The Hunger Game, Susan Collins talked about this, about how the main character, Katniss, she can restrict her food, but then there are some days where she eats and no matter how much food she puts in her body, she's always hungry. And like for the fact that this is so common, a human experience that it made its way to pop culture, to me means that there's something into it. Yeah, it's like another one of those things where by depriving yourself, somehow you feel good in the pain of deprivation versus like mm-hmm. just eating and like letting yourself be a human being and be nourished. Eat, it is what your body needs to move forward through the day. Like I can't think straight if I don't eat breakfast. I can't perform. And so I'm wondering with these people who restricted their diet so much, how are they functioning? How are they not miserable, unhappy people? Well, they are probably miserable and unhappy people. <laughs> it's also like that it's not a one size fits all right? Some people restrict their food and it's working for them and they're not unhappy with it and they can do it. But just because some people can do it doesn't mean that's like, it's a universal experience that everybody can restrict their food and be perfectly fine. Yeah. But as soon as we think that something is one size fits all, it doesn't work. It's not like this. And nutrition is definitely not like this. So to have like a number of calories, like you said, a number of like macronutrient, that's like, this is the amount of calorie that every human needs to eat. That makes very little sense because we're not machines. We're not robots. Thank God. (laughs) What else have you been committing to working on or trying? This is something that I'm constantly working on that I think that I have really helped and something we didn't talk all that much in the podcast, but I had to heal my relationship with moving and working out. I think movement is extremely important for your health and between being like a gay boy who was kind of awkward and not really good at sport when I was younger and uh, a young adult who decided to let go of all sport because it was not giving me the results that I wanted to see physically and visibly on my body. In my 30s, relearning to move in a positive way without competition. Some people love competition. I don't. It makes me not want to uh, move more. Some people love it. Good for them. And then finding that balance between moving 
and doing things that make me feel good, but also not pushing too hard and the hope that it will magically then transform my body in the way that I wish it would transform my body. So that sort of like gray sweet spot zone is a zone that I've been quite happy in most of the time. It is harder during winter, of course, but I can be gentle with myself during winter. That's a really good thought. And not, not something I put on my list, but something I definitely could add into my list because movement is not a big thing for me right now. Though I do try as I can to like take little walks here and there when I could just as easily take the subway, I'll walk it. But I need to do more movement in my life. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to find things that you love both mentally, emotionally, and in your body that are accessible, that you can commit the time to, that you can pay for. Like... It's really challenging, even though Toronto is a city with a lot of things going on. It is still quite challenging to find activities that fit all of these boxes. Yeah, that just reminds me of the last time I found an activity like that. I was into rock climbing a few years ago, like the climbing walls that they had in Toronto. And I loved it when I was completely not taking any lessons and just doing it on my own. I would go every other day. I would try and convince friends to go with me. And then I took a lesson. And then during the lesson, there's a right way to climb and there's not a right way to climb. And like, I had a real hard time mastering the foot and handholds because of my own relationship with my body because of trauma. And I had a meltdown in the class and I never went back again because emotionally I was like very triggered. And it was a reminder too, though, that like I've got some emotional work to do that trauma has changed my relationship with my body. And that needs mm-hmm. to be worked on because it was something I loved doing and was really excited about, like loved the challenge. And then to have that kind of steamrolled over by trauma is like oh so yeah well it was kind of hard for me to accept like I love running I've always been running my dad is a runner people in my family but I noticed that if I run more than like five to seven kilometers it starts hurting my body and I'm starting to hate it but it took me so long to accept that it was okay for me to be a 5k runner my whole life and I did not have to add one kilometer each summer and I did not have to reduce my time. I could run slowly if that's what I wanted to do. And I did not have to constantly be better. And it was so hard to accept, but now I'm pretty happy and actually it's nice outside. So I've started my running season again last week. That's awesome. Running is a lot of fun. I never never liked running in high school and grade school, but as an adult, I've gone running a few times. I did the 5k pride run, Mm -hmm. complete amateur. It was a lot of fun to do. I, I ran against Kathleen Wynn. I said hi to Kathleen Wynn when she was at me. <laughs> so it tells you how long ago I ran a 5K race. But there was one thing that came up when I was writing this list, though, that I really think I've been trying to do. And it wasn't necessarily just because of this podcast, but it happened to dovetail with it, which is like when people give you a compliment or they say they find you attractive or they like the way you look, to just let it sink in and really enjoy that feeling instead of like pushing back against it, being like, you don't know how hideous I am. Be like, yeah, thank you. I'm glad that you think I'm good looking or I'm glad that you find me attractive because it's a really nice feeling when you let that sink in and you realize that other people find you beautiful and wonderful and great to be around. It's just a joyous thing to take that in and like, yeah, I am pretty hot stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying to be egotistical, but just more from a, take the compliment. Don't try and reject it in your brain. Don't try and fight against it, taking it in. Yeah, just accept the compliment. Yes. One thing that works really well for me with all the work that I've done on body image stuff and my self-esteem, there are still days, maybe more often than I wish, but where I feel just blah about either my whole self or like a specific part of myself. And in the past, I would let that consume me and ruin my day. 
And now I'm like, oh, today is a day that I find myself ugly. Well, too bad. <laughs> and I just sort of like move on with my day and be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is one of those days. It doesn't mean that the rest of my day is going to be awful or that I have to like cross every single mirror or avoid every single mirror for the rest of the day. It's quite funny because sometimes in the morning I find myself horrible. Maybe not horrible. That's a harsh word. But sometimes like I don't like myself in the morning and I kind of like, okay, today is like this. And I go on and I forget about it almost. And then I go to the washroom several hours later and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh, I look exactly like I always look for better or worse, you know, but I haven't changed like all that much. And that's something that Marie said as well. Like last week I was feeling really bad about myself, but I remember that the previous week I was feeling pretty good about myself and realistically I present to the world exactly the same way in those two weeks. And so that was like a good tip that they gave us. Yeah, that's a really good insight. The thing that the pandemic taught me was like dress up every day as if you're going to work, which was a good thing for me because getting dressed up for me is like a great way to like, even if I'm feeling bad about myself in the morning, Mm. I'm wearing a great outfit, then I kind of feel like I'm in my power. And I did that through the entire pandemic, even though I could have worn sweatpants and just shown up to work in sweatpants and a t-shirt, I would make a point of dressing well. And it put me in a better mindset for the day too, because Sometimes clothes can be powerful, I think. And I think as queer people, we talked about that in the first episode. Yeah, It's a great way for me to express my queerness and my like individuality. And then I feel a little bit better about myself, even if I think I'm looking a little rough around the edges. That was my last point was about clothes, just buying clothes that fit my body and not like aspirational clothes. Intuitive eating has this one saying that says, it's the job of the clothes to fit your body and not the other way around. Hmm. And not, it's not the job of your body to fit inside the clothes that you buy. Marie and I talked about this as well and about like, yeah, this is the person that I am. This is the body that I have. This is the skin complexion that I have. I will buy clothes that fits this. And yeah, maybe if I change down the line, I'll have to buy more clothes or something. Mm-hmm. But to buy clothes that feel good and are comfortable and fashionable for the person that I am right now. Mm-hmm. It's a great segue there. That's a really good thing. Maybe we should talk about what brings us joy about our bodies or something like that. I don't know. Yes. Finishing this season with what we love and want to celebrate about our bodies. Where do I begin? <laughs> There's so much to celebrate. And I do mean so much. <laughs> so number one, I love about my body. I love that my body is functioning and working right now. <laughs> it's doing the things it needs to do. But More than that, I think the things I like most about my body are, I like the fact that my face is getting a little older and wrinklier. People would call it a weathered face, I suppose, but I love that. I love seeing my face age because it means like it's another year on the planet, another year of growth and learning things. And I just like seeing myself become a little bit older, a little bit more refined. I mean, I used to have a baby face when I was younger and it used to drive me crazy, but I'm very thankful for it in my 40s because I still don't look like I'm in my 40s. (laughs) So it's easy for me to say I love my face aging because I look like him in my 20s. But um, I mean, I just like my smile. I like my eyes. I like my bald head. I like things that I never used to like about myself. Like I used to be very self-conscious about my hair. But like once I accepted that I was going bald and I started shaving my hair, I realized it's a whole lot of work to have good hair. And I don't have to put that work into it. I just look good bald. (laughs) I even like my belly some days, which is a thing I've had a harder time with because my belly used to be a source of like, oh... But it's, it reminds me of all like the good th- things that I've, I've had to eat. It reminds me that I'm actually not at the heart of it. I don't really care about society's beauty standards. I can have a belly and be a happy, attractive, sexy guy. I'm still working on my height. 
so much work you're looking at. So this is about what we're working on. I just also love being queer and being non-binary in the way that I get to finally dress how I want to dress. As an adult, like growing up, I love my parents. My mom dressed me very well, but not in a way that I would have chosen to dress necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like when I was three, I used to wear a suit and tie to preschool because I really wanted to wear a suit and tie to preschool to look like my dad who was going to the office in a suit and tie. And I like that. I like being like a little more natty at times or a little more dressed up. And I like throwing on sparkle and I like throwing on a little bit of shine and fucking with people's ideas of what men are supposed to look like. I've actually had a bigger struggle with that, though, working at a gay men's health organization than you would imagine. You would think I would feel more comfortable there, but you realize how much normative ideas about gay men and what we're supposed to look like and how masculine we're supposed to be. Yeah. But I'm coming into my own with the way I look, and I still think I'm a catch, especially with this mustache. People can't see it, but I've got a mustache that would just knock you dead. It drives the boys crazy, I'm just saying. They love it, so I must be doing something right. Now it's your turn, Vincent. (laughs) I mean, at first I wanted to write, like, I think the first thing you said that's a little bit basic is like, I like that my body is alive and healthy and blah, blah, which, you know, is true to a certain extent. Uh, I feel like my body could definitely be healthier. I've been struggling with migraines this winter and it's been unpleasant. So I don't like that. (laughs) One of the things that sounds superficial that I love about my body is my tattoos and my piercings. Although this is something that I've add on when I was younger and I really had a lower self-esteem, I would always find tattoos and piercings really attractive on people. And I always thought like, oh, this is for someone else. And this is not for me. And then one day I was like, no, this is ridiculous. Like if there are things that I like, I deserve to have them on my body as well. So just to be able to do that, it was actually like quite a big shift when I started having tattoos and piercings and I did mention my fear of needles. So me being over that fear and uh, doing that for myself was quite nice. Mm -hmm. I think it's an awesome thing to share because I feel the same way, like tattoos and piercings for me have been add-ons to my body that have a lot of meaning for me. I like the way I look with my nose piercing better than I look without it. I just have to say, I just a thing I like. And I think it's great that you have that relationship with your tattoos and piercings. You can make body modifications and not feel ashamed for loving them. Yes. (laughs) and then I know I joked about like I love what my body can do but I really do after a run or after like a I love doing like cardio kickboxing classes and while I'm doing it and after I feel like really good and really powerful and so I really like that a lot and I love that I'm healing my relationship with clothing. I've been kind of enjoying learning to dress my body, picking up my sewing machine again and adjusting clothes so that they fit and uh, they look good. So I've been really enjoying that. Now that I know you do tailoring, I've got things I would like you to do. Yeah, no, 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 no. Please, everyone stay away. I don't do that for (laughs) anyone but myself. (laughs) And of course, I've learned to, uh, like you mentioned, like accept compliments people you know saying i have nice eyes i have a nice smile and i have like all of these things and i'm sexy i've really learned to accept that and i think a lot of people and including myself now (laughs) finds me attractive and handsome and good looking there you go we're just two well-adjusted homosexuals like (laughs) that was way more awkward to record that section than i thought it would be and that was my question too that was the one i dumped on us too i said we should talk about what we'd like about our bodies (laughs) This has been recorded and will be published unless I cut it all out. <laughs> we have a very short episode. It just ends at the request. <laughs> so we've celebrated ourselves and our bodies. And this brings us to the conclusion 
of this season, Jordan. No, there's going to be more special episodes, right? Like 10 special episodes more. <laughs> yeah, it's the end. It's the end. Um, can I say something schmaltzy and emotional now? Of course. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Vincent, our host, for having me on the series this year. The first series that won over Smith was very different than this one. And this one was nice because I think we really found our groove. And it's been such a pleasure to work with you and to get to know more about you and to laugh a lot and to just go on this journey. And thank you for keeping me on board because it's been a really exciting process for me. So you're a wonderful host and a good friend. So thanks, Vincent. And to our audience, I love you all. I love you all. Thank you for the many compliments and the flowers that you send me daily. (laughs) And if you don't write a good review about this podcast, you're homophobic. It's been really interesting this season and how different I am as a host and the podcast since I started season one. Again, like I'm curious as to people who've only listened to like a few episodes on season one and where my podcast is right now and how different it is. And it is bittersweet that this season's ending. Honestly, I need a break from editing because it's taking a lot of time and summer is arriving. So it'll be more of a break with maybe a few special episodes. And then I will definitely be back uh, sooner than later with season four. And if everything goes as planned, season four is going to be dedicated to loneliness. That is a topic. (laughs) Yeah. Jordan, thank you so much for taking this super long journey with me. People are asking like, oh, is Jordan like finally your co-host forever on the show? And I'm like, I don't. No, I don't think so. (laughs) But definitely you'll be back as a co-host in the future. You are definitely part of the Mental Health Much family. Thank you. Very happy to be that. And folks, you don't want me as a permanent host anyway. It takes a lot of work to make me sound as good as I do. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is the end of this season. Please give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want to stay in contact with Jordan, it's at Blood and Gore, G-O-R-R, on Instagram. And for me, it's also on Instagram. I no longer am on Twitter at Mental Health Much. And have a good summer. See you soon. And until next time, please keep talking about mental health as much as you can. And keep safe. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da.